Find the book of Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Now, folks, uh, tonight's message, probably the last message I will deliver this year, uh, get, covering the themes of New Year challenges. You know, as you turn into a new year, go into a new year, pastors always give you a challenge for the new year. And I've been doing some of that in the month of January on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. T tonight, I mean, it's the last day of January. It's probably the last message of this nature that I'm going to give you challenges and resolutions for the new year. Uh, but we do want to cover, in particular, verses 5 and 6 tonight. Now, here's what I want to do beginning next week. And I know we did this, it's been about uh, 11 years ago. I was looking back at some notes in 2007. Hard to believe it's been that long. But I want to begin next week in Esther, okay? There's a reason I want to begin in Esther. There's a motivation behind that. Do you remember what I dressed up as at Fall Festival? No, I wasn't Esther. <laughs> no, not Mordecai. Martin Luther, who said that, okay, very good, Ivadi. I was Martin Luther. Do you remember what Connie dressed up as? Connie was Esther, okay? What do you say? Okay. Connie was Esther, and she had a banner with that key verse in the book of Esther. You know what that key verse is? For such a time as this. And we were amazed that night. Now, I know it probably wasn't you, okay? But we were amazed that night with even church members. They said, who are you? Esther. Who's Esther? You know Esther in the Old Testament? Don't No, no, I don't know that. You know this verse? Don't No. And person after person after person after person said they did not know anything about Esther in the Old Testament. Surprised me. I would thought that was one of the, I would thought, have thought Esther like Jonah or Ruth. Everybody would know that. But person after person didn't know anything about it. And Connie said, Scott, you need to preach on Esther. <laughs> so, and I said, yes, ma'am. So we're going to, this morning down at Taylor Glen, I started Esther, and on Wednesday nights in here, we're going to be studying Esther. Next week. So start studying this week on the book of Esther, okay? Uh, Pure, that's where the Jewish holiday of Purim comes from. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about all that, Yes. Because that's the basis for the festival, the Feast of Purim, uh, Purim that the Jews do. So uh, anyway, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. He says, uh, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Here's a list of the top ten New Year's resolutions that commonly come across in surveys. Resolution number one, spend more time with family and friends. Number two, get physically fit. Number three, Related to that, tame the bulge. Number four, quit smoking. Number five, generic, just enjoy life more. Number six, quit drinking. Number seven, get out of debt. Number eight, learn something new. Number nine, help others. And number 10, get organized. Those are the top 10 New Year's resolutions. Now, there's some good ones in there, but sadly, do you know what I didn't notice in that list? Didn't notice anything about God. I also read that according to Franklin um, Covey surveys, 33% say that they will not keep their resolutions past the end of January. So one-third of everybody who made New Year's resolutions today is survey show after today, they're done. 75% of folks say that by the end of March... All of their New Year's resolutions have gone by the wayside. Well, I want us to look in Proverbs 3 tonight. It's God's wisdom book in in the Bible. Let's see what he has to say about some principles that ought to be not only resolutions but convictions that never go by the wayside in our lives. Amen? So let's look at these. First of all, if you're taking notes, make Christ-honoring choices. Make Christ-honoring choices. I, I, I trust that by now you've realized every day of your life is spent making choices. Now, some choices are not that important, right? Am I going to have pizza or ice cream? Yes. (laughs) But other choices are life-shaping. And not only life-shaping, but shaping of our eternity. 
I think of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus on one occasion. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, and you remember what the scripture said, he turned away sad because he was a wealthy man. He wasn't willing to do what Jesus said. Zacchaeus on the other hand he climbed up in that sycamore tree to see Jesus Jesus said come down I must go to your house today uh, he went to Zacchaeus's house and we know sometime in the course of the day obviously Zacchaeus came to faith in the Lord Jesus uh, and, and then he promised to make restitution fourfold of anybody that he had wronged choices Make Christ-honoring choices. And, and here we see a choice that should be right at the top of the list. Verse 5, trust in the Lord. It's not a choice to trust so much because, again, we do this just by nature every day of our lives. We put the key in the ignition and we turn the car on. There's a level of trust there. We board an airplane, and there's a level of trust there that we're going to get to our destination. Some place their trust in their abilities, some in their looks, some in their uh, education, some in their occupation. Sometimes the things we trust in deliver what they're supposed to deliver, but sometimes they don't. But when we trust in the Lord, we will not be disappointed. Romans 5 says, They that put their trust in the Lord shall never be disappointed. Now to trust in the Lord means to seek Him, to rely upon Him, to obey Him. It literally means to, to lie down on or to stretch out on. It has to do with resting your full weight upon something. That's what the Hebrew word means here. You're putting your full weight down upon something. Well, we're to put, put the full weight of our lives and the full weight of our decisions upon God. You know, I think of James and John. They were fishermen along with their dad. They were in the family business. And the Bible says one day Jesus came along the shores of Galilee and saw them. And, and he called them to come and follow him. And, and he would make them fishers of men. And the Bible says they forsook their father and their nets and they followed Jesus. Now, folks, those were two guys that were resting everything upon Jesus. Maybe some of you in here tonight need to do that. I may be speaking to somebody that's at a crossroads in your life, and you need to put the full weight of your trust upon the Lord to direct your steps. Maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's something going on in your family or your marriage. Who knows, I could be talking to somebody in here tonight that needs to put their full weight of trust down upon the Lord Jesus for salvation. 
God wants us to trust Him. And He qualifies it here. Notice how He qualifies it. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. What do we find easy to do? A lot of times we, we find it easy, well, you know, I'm going to trust God with this and with this and with this. But you mean I'm supposed to trust Him with this too? And what he's saying here is we're to put the full weight, 100%, upon the Lord. It's basically a decision to not live a double life. Don't say at church, I'll trust Him, but with my job right now, I can't trust Him. Or I'll, I'll, I'll trust Him with my relationships, but I'm not going to trust Him with my money. Trust is basic to any relationship, isn't it? I read a story about Adam and Eve some time ago and how Adam was staying out late and Eve became suspicious. She wanted to know if Adam was seeing another woman. He said, Eve, you know that you're the only woman for me. In fact, you're the only woman. Later that night, though, he woke up and, and Eve was poking and pressing on his chest. He said, what are you doing? She said, I'm counting your ribs. <laughs> Trust is critical to any relationship. It's a decision that up front I'm going to decide that God is sovereign and He knows what is best. It really comes down to that in believing in the providential care of God. That we serve a God who is sovereign over every detail of life. Over every aspect of the universe. He's in control. Do we believe that He is who the Bible says He is? Do we believe His way is the best way? You know, James talks about the double-minded man, doesn't he? And he's not talking about just somebody who has doubts from time to time. But James is talking about the kind of man who asked God for wisdom in a certain situation, but in the back of his mind, he's thinking, you know, God, I want you to show me your way, but here, I got my plan over here too, and when you let me know your plan, I'm going to weigh it against my plan, and I may not go with your plan. I may go with your plan, God, but I may not. I may go with my plan. James says such a man is a double-minded man, and he shouldn't think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. In fact, James goes on to say he's unstable in all of his ways. Now, as part of trusting him, we need to trust his commandments, that they're good. He says, my son, do not, going back to verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. The law's good. There's nothing wrong with the law. Paul had that discussion in the book of Romans. Now, the law was never given to save us. 
It can't. And the mistake a lot of people make with the law of God, they, they think it can save. It can't. That's not even its purpose. The law is given to reveal our need and our sin. It's like a mirror that points out the flaws that you have. The mirror can't do anything to fix the flaws. It just reveals what the flaws are. And that's what the law does. Then after being saved, the law shows us how God's people are supposed to live. But again, look at what he's saying. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. We need to build our lives on God's commandments and God's word. You see, trust is not something that is nebulous that you can't ever really define. Do you obey God? Do you live out His Word? That shows you trust right there, right? We can gauge in some measure our trust by our obedience. Our obedience. And look at the promise in verse 2. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now this is a general principle that's true. Generally speaking you, you live a, 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 a life in obedience to God's commandments and there's no doubt about it. It's going to be good for your life. And probably you're going to make decisions that, that help with longevity. Longevity. Now, some people die young, you know. It's not absolute, but by and large we live according to God's work. We do have a better life, right? We make better decisions. He says, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. The joy and the peace and the comfort of serving God and obeying Him and doing things His way. It's going to be a blessing to your life. It's going to help you in the storms of life. Jesus compared us to like builders. The one guy hears, the, he hears his word and, and doesn't act on it. He's like somebody who builds his house on sand. The storms of life come and the house collapses. The other guy builds his house on the rock. The same storms still come. The same wind and rain and floods. But the house stands. Why? Because it's been built on his word. So length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. So what's the first Christ-honoring decision? Trust in the Lord and trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Secondly, on this same subject, acknowledge God in all of your ways. In all of your ways. All of our ways are to be subject to the Lord's approval. 
Are there any bad habits that you need to confess and repent of? Bad thoughts? Are there any hard feelings, unforgiveness, bitterness that you need to confess and repent of? Is there somebody you need to get right with? Boy, now that'd be a wonderful way to begin this year, wouldn't it? Get those issues settled. We are to acknowledge God in all of our ways. A lady came up to the famous preacher G. Campbell Morgan on one occasion and asked him, Sir, do you think that God is really concerned about the little things in my life? He responded, Ma'am, to the God of the universe, everything in your life is little. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. That was a problem with some folks in James chapter 4, wasn't it? These businessmen that were saying, you know, this year we're going we're gonna to go to this city and we're going to do business here and we're going to make a profit and here's everything we're going to do. And, and James says, you're, you're foolish. Do you not know your life is but a vapor? You don't even know that you'll have this year. You don't even know that you'll have the rest of today. Shouldn't you instead be saying, if God wills, we'll be doing this? With His direction, with His leading and His blessing? Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. Thirdly related to this, honor God with tangible means. Honor Him with tangible means. Look at verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, now these verses right here give us a very visible, tangible test about honoring God. It has to do with our possessions. You know, it's one thing to talk about honoring God, but, but how about putting, putting it to the test when it comes to your money? That's about as practical and tangible as it gets, isn't it? Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all of your produce. He's talking about committing the first, the best of your earnings to God. Malachi 3 spoke of the tithe. Yet from the days of your fathers you've gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. For you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. A tenth of our earnings right off the top are to go to God. 
Now that means that the amount of our gifts will not be equal because people earn different wages. But the sacrifice is equal. You know, the problem is the way we give to God sometimes. We sit down and we write out all of our bills, checks to pay for that, or we go online take care of that. And then if, then if anything is left over, we may give a portion of that to God. We may give the leftovers. But this verse isn't saying give God the leftovers. It tells us we're to give of the first fruits. There's a big difference between first fruits and leftovers. Remember what David said, King David, I will not offer to God anything that costs me nothing. That means if there's not enough in my budget to go around, then something else in the 90% needs to go. What do people tend to do? They tend to say, well, the 10%, God's share, that's going to go by the wayside. No, 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 no. You evaluate what you're doing with the 90 I must be doing something wrong with the 90% if I can't give 10 George W. Truett was a great preacher, First Baptist of Dallas, Texas, before W.A. Criswell. One day he was visiting a rich Texas oil man, and as they stood on the second-story porch of the oil man's home, the, the Texas millionaire uh, was talking to Dr. Truett as he was pointing in every direction. As far as you can see in that direction, I own all that. As far as you can see in that direction, I own uh, preacher, I own all that. That direct, I own. He he just went around 360 degrees. As far as you look in every direction, I own it all. George Truett said, "But sir, how much do you own in that direction?" Honor God with your giving. Second Corinthians talks about giving too, that God loves a cheerful giver, and he says if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. Paul says on the first day of the week, lay up in store. Now he was talking about the collection, that special collection for the saints, uh, the poor saints in Jerusalem. And yet he was assuming that on the first day of the week, the members of the church would be in worship, and as part of their worship, they would give. Honor God from your first fruits. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways, and give to the Lord of your first fruits. Honor Him. In your giving. Those are Christ honoring decisions. Secondly, for, forsake man centered living. Man centered living. And first on that list, we could say, do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 5. Just the opposite of trusting in the Lord with all your heart. He says, do not lean on your own understanding. I mentioned Adam and Eve a moment ago. Instead of trusting God, they looked at what the devil was saying to them and it made sense. It seemed logical. 
And so instead of basing their decisions on revelation, they tried to base their decisions on reason. Instead of going with what God had said, they went with how they felt. They leaned on their own understanding. And look at what happened. Same is happening today. People go through life trusting in their own intuition, how they feel about something, or they're basing their decisions on human logic or reasoning or past experiences. Every day people do that. But folks, we need to understand we have a book that is a love letter from God. And, and we need... We need to lean on this. We need to know what God says. And we need to do that instead of leaning on our own understanding. Folks, we can't rely on human logic or understanding to go through life. Do you realize that if you are going to go through life leaning on your own understanding, for that to be accurate every single time, then you would, you would have to have a knowledge that was perfect and infinite. You would need to have understanding about everything. Obviously, we can't do that. But we know somebody who does have infinite understanding. And he's given us his word. Somebody has calculated that from Jesus, the time of Jesus, to 1700, the year 1700, knowledge doubled. From 1700 to 1900, it doubled again. From 1900 to 1950, it doubled yet again. And now, supposedly, knowledge doubles in the world every two years. But look at the condition of the world. General Omar Bradley said the following words to scientists in Boston in 1948 after the atom bomb was dropped. He said, we have grasped the mystery of the atom and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. With the monstrous weapons man already has, humanity is in danger of being trapped in this world by moral adolescence. Our knowledge of science has already outstripped our capacity to control it. We have too, me too many men of science and too few men of God. He said that in 1948. He's saying here, do not lean on your own understanding. What's Isaiah 55 tell us? God says, my ways are higher than your ways. 
secondly, related to forsaking man-centered decisions. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes, verse 7. He's forbidding pride. If I could tell you one thing that God hates perhaps more than anything else, something he sets his face against, would you be interested in knowing what it is? Sure you would. Well, it's pride. In fact, the Bible says in the book of James that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you want God's opposition or do you want God's grace? Do not be wise in your own eyes. And then thirdly related to this, verses we didn't read tonight, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Look at verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Some people hate to be corrected. They, they hate to be told they're wrong. They, they hate to be disciplined. But the Bible points out here that we ought to love it when God disciplines us and corrects us because that is evidence that we are His children. Hebrews 12 tells us the same thing. That God disciplines his own children. He's, the Hebrews 12 says if you're without God's discipline, then you're illegitimate children. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. The third main point I want you to see tonight, rest in God's promises. Rest in God's promises out of, out of all these commandments that he's given us here notice, notice some of the promises that if we will obey what's verse 6 say that God will do if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding what's God going to do he will direct your path folks that's a promise from God now, that word direct in the Hebrew means to cut a highway or to clear a path. You know, there, there are rocks and trees and valleys. There are things in the way when somebody gets ready to cut a path. But what he's saying here, to those who will leave the choices to God and trust God, God even clears mountains out of the way. He'll clear your path. But again, you've got to trust Him. You've got to trust Him. Remember what King David said in the 23rd Psalm, Thou leadest me in the paths of righteousness for thy name's sake. God's attaching his reputation to it, right? You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God will direct your path. What a wonderful promise in the scripture that, that you and I can have God direct our paths. 
Verse 8 tells us also related to this, He'll lead you in the way of blessing. Look at verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now certainly I don't want to give you the impression that if you honor God, you're always going to be healthy and you're always going to live a, a long life. I, just like I was saying earlier, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But your chances are better. I think some people are suffering today, even physically, because of choices they've made. Think of the alcoholic and the compromised health. Suffering because of choices. And, and he's saying here, God will lead you in the pathway of blessing, the way of blessing. And then a third promise, he will provide for your needs. Verse 10, he says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. Being generous towards God and God, you, you can't outgive God. Generous towards God, he is more generous back in return. <clears throat> He will provide for your needs. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? You and I don't have to worry about everything. If he takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, don't you know that he'll take care of you even more? You're created in his image. Birds aren't, lilies aren't, you are. If God looks after things in creation, He'll certainly look after you. He'll provide for your needs. Now I want to ask you tonight, are you making choices that will lead to a better life? Are you making choices that will lead to a better life? Or are you making choices that you, you may not even see how much those choices are hurting you? But again, you're, you're leaning on your own understanding. You're stingy with God. You're doing things your way. And you probably don't see that what you're doing is hurting you. Am I speaking to anybody tonight in that regard? Now, also I want you to think about something. As you read Proverbs 3, you see that the Christian life is a very practical life of application. Applying God's truth, living God's truth. The Christian life is not just merely some emotional spasm. <laughs> The Christian life is about being doers of the word. Be consistently faithful in the basic things of the Christian life. The basic things of the Christian life. Reading your Bible, praying, 
being a part of a fellowship, encouraging one another, worshiping God, telling others about Jesus, just the basic things that we learn about God in His Word, the obvious things, the obvious things. Be faithful in that. And again, above all, trust God's direction. Not man's logic, not man's reason, not man's intuition, but God's revelation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Memorize those two verses. I'd say memorize the whole passage, but at least memorize those two verses. Amen? Amen. Remember next week, what are we going to do? Esther. So be doing some background study this week in the book of Esther. And what you're going to see in that book is the providential hand of God at work, even when people don't see it at the time. God's not even, the name of God is not even mentioned in the book of Esther. However, God is on every single page in the book of Esther. So do some background studies on that tonight.